His name was Johann Frank. He was born in the year 1618. He was a government official, but he also was a poet, great poet, wrote many secular poems, wrote religious poems. Some of them became hymns. When he was born in 1618, the Thirty Years' War started. Historians have said it was the most brutal war that has ever been fought on planet Earth. And the great irony, it was a war between Catholics and Protestants. Thirty years. There was an enormous loss of life, loss of property. Things were never quite the same, even when the war came to an end. When he was 35 years of age, he took a tour throughout Germany. The war had been over for five years. But what he saw left him with very little hope and very little strength. The effects of the war, though five years had gone by, nature had recovered, but that nation of Germany was far from it. Devastation was everywhere. There were vast portions of Germany that had been well populated and there were no human beings there now. And as he saw the death and destruction, as he saw the vast areas of Germany unpopulated, he went back to headquarters and he made his report to the officials. And then he went into his office and he sat down with a quill pen and a piece of paper. And he wrote the hymn that's in your hymn book. It's called Jesus Priceless Treasure. And that hymn, uh, 350 years later, we still sing it on occasion. Jesus, priceless treasure. And in every verse, uh, every stanza of that hymn, he talks in essence about the storm and the devastation that he has seen. But every verse ends with the fact that Christ is there. That God is there. That the one who created everything has this great storm in his hands. And he will bring healing and he'll bring peace. When I read that hymn, I cannot think about 70% of David's psalms. They start out so bad. My enemies are against us. I don't stand a chance. Lord, where are you? But every one of those psalms ends up with, God is with me. God is with me. We had a very difficult time uh, listening to that video. We couldn't hear it at the 8 o'clock service because the rain was beating down so hard on that skylight. And that's what happens, people. When the storms come, the storm is so loud and it's so ferocious. We're not, better, we're not much better than the disciples. We see the storm. We see the darkness. We hear the thunder. And our focus is on that storm. The question becomes, how rooted are we in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? How rooted are we in his promises? If we're not rooted very strongly in them, then the storm will continue to have its effects for days, weeks, and months. But if you're rooted in him, Psalm 121, I lift my eyes unto the hills. If you're rooted in him, it is a very brief period of time before your eye is off the storm, and it's on him, <clears throat> Jesus' priceless treasure. 
Were I to ask you about his personhood, you would be able to answer correctly. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He is truly man. He is truly man. He died on the cross as payment for our sins. God said, I'm going to write up a contract. You sign it and I'll sign it. If you die on that cross, I will use your death as a payment for all of mankind's sin. says in the Bible he was made a sin offering for us. Jesus signed with his blood. God signed with his truth and purity. And when he dies on that cross, the storm of our sins that could destroy us forever, it is taken care of by Christ. He is true God. Colossians 2.9, we just read it, in Christ Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in his body. True God, true man, St. John, he writes his gospel, 110 A.D. There is a group called the Gnostics. The Gnostics have said Jesus was never truly man. He couldn't have been. He couldn't have been true man. John writes what no other gospel writer wrote. He said, I was there at the foot of the cross. I heard the word come out of his mouth. Jesus said, I thirst. And in this episode, in Mark chapter 4... There is nowhere else in all of Scripture that presents the fact of his being true man and true God more strongly than Mark chapter 4, this episode. Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat. It is the only gospel account where it says Jesus slept. He's asleep in the boat, and the disciples awaken him. Master, don't you care that we are about to die? You know, forget you, Jesus. We're about to die. Don't you care? And Jesus awoke, and he commanded the wind, said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. Not only a calm on the lake, but a calm in the hearts of the disciples. And once the calm had hit them because the storm was over, then the Bible says they were terrified. They were terrified because they knew they were in the presence of God. Exodus 33, 20, no one can see the face of God and live. They were in the presence of God himself. And out of their mouths comes the words, my goodness gracious, he healed some lepers, deaf, dumb, blind, and lame, cast out some demons. But my goodness gracious, even nature listens to his voice. They were terrified like the shepherds in the field on that first Christmas. They were terrified. They were in the presence of God, and they knew it. Poor Jesus, had you seen him on that day, and had you seen him two days earlier, you'd have said, that ain't the same guy. Two days earlier, he's in the synagogue, and his eyes are sparkling and piercing as if fueled by heavenly fires. But not on this day, not in Mark chapter 4, not on this day. His, days are, her, his eyes are dull and lifeless, glazed by lack of sleep. Whereas before, when he preached on the Sea of Galilee, walking back and forth to make sure everyone can hear him, on this day he is transfixed as if his feet are embedded, not in sand, but in concrete. He is transfixed. He cannot move to the right or to the left. He has become the epitome of Isaiah forty twenty nine. Even young men like Jesus, 33 years of age, even young men grow tired and weary. Even you stumble and fall. That was Jesus on this day. 
his legs weighed down by the burden of fatigue. Jesus was not Superman, he was true man. That day had been exceedingly demanding. During that day and the previous day, the Pharisees had come against him, the great enemies of Jesus. He could smell them from a distance. He could feel Satan's presence when they came. He shuddered when they came. And the Pharisees come and they do their usual garbage. Jesus, why did you heal that man with a withered hand? It was a Sabbath day. Instead of rejoicing over his compassion and instead of falling in front of him in awe at his power, they hate him so much they want him dead. I'm not overstating. Look at Mark 3, 5. They hate him so much they want him dead. And whenever the Pharisees came, just like you and I, when enemies come against us, you know how you feel, you know how you react. So it was with Jesus on this day, the Pharisees have come. He didn't just have a problem this day with the Pharisees. Mark chapter 3, verse 21. His mother thought he was insane. Mark 3, 21. Some versions say his mother thought he was mad. Some versions say she thought he was out of his mind. Some versions say he was crazy, insane. Jesus had brothers, James, Josie, Judas, and Simon. Mary said to them, go get your brother before he does harm to himself. His enemy is a Pharisee, but who would have thought his mother would turn against him? And on this day, from sunrise to sunset, he's healing. There are no 10-minute coffee breaks, union-sponsored. He's healing from morning till evening. And you say, no big deal. Oh, my goodness gracious. (laughs) No big deal. They are hanging on him from morning to evening. They're grabbing his robes. They're grabbing his shoulders. They're grabbing his legs. They are smothering him. The disciples tried for a while to keep the crowd away, but you can't keep a crowd of a 1,000 people away. And every time he healed someone, especially the demon-possessed, every time he saw the blind and the crippled and the lame, he thought about one person, and the one person he thought about was Satan. Satan has done this to God's children. And by the time the end of that day had come with a thousand people pushing against him, there was nothing left. There was nothing left. He did one other thing on that day, preached in parables. Parables were tough work. He he had to know what he wanted to say, but then he had to put it in a different form so the Pharisees wouldn't accuse him of blasphemy too early. Preached in parables in order to get the message across and yet to confound the scribes and the Pharisees. He, He explained that to his disciples. What a day for Jesus. The evening has come. The cries of the seagulls have ceased. The sand crabs have buried underneath the sand to escape the chill of the evening. If you look 50 yards to the right and the left, there are other fishermen getting their nets ready because they fished during the night, as you well know. There's no sound. Just the gentle lapping of the waters and the soothing voice of Jesus. Come to me, you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll be your peace. Call upon me in the day of trouble, I'll deliver you. 
In this world there will be storms, but take heart, I'm in the midst of the storm. I've already overcome it. And suddenly, though his words were still powerful enough to hold the crowd on that beach, his strength had reached its limit. He looks to the side, he, he beckons almost quietly, invisibly, to his disciple Peter. He beckons to him. And Peter comes, he sees the exhaustion on Jesus' face. Jesus whispers to him, get my boat ready. We have to leave. I have nothing left. The disciples were so often insensitive to Jesus, it's almost hilarious. <laughs> they were totally insensitive to him. It's, it's the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he asked them to come, Peter, James, and John. And what do they do? They fall asleep. And what do they do a second time? Fall asleep. And what do they do a third time? Fall asleep. They're totally insensitive to Jesus. I mean, when he starts talking about his uh, death in Jerusalem six months prior to the event, uh, I mean, Simon Peter ta takes him to the side and says, Jesus, let me give you some advice. Shut your mouth. <laughs> We've got 10,000 people following us, and you're talking about your death and crucifixion. Hush your mouth, Jesus. Not only insensitive to Jesus, but, you know, the mothers with children, keep your children away from Jesus. He's got more important things to do. To the blind beggars, you know, stay away from Jesus, man. He's got important stuff to do there in Jericho. Totally insensitive, but not on this day. Intriguing in Mark chapter 4, when you look at the translations, it says they took him to the boat. They half carried him to the boat. He didn't have strength to go through the sand and into the water and into the boat. They half carry him into the boats. They were frightened by what they saw. Be comforted with the knowledge that Jesus is true man. If i got stuff going on, I don't want any ordinary person talking to me. I want someone who's going through the same stuff I'm going through. If uh, one spouse has died and someone says, I know what you're going through, that person better well have lost their spouse or they have no business saying that. That is why when Connie and Jill run that grief support group, you'll have 50 people go through that group in the course of a year. Why? Because each one in that group has suffered a great loss. And when the group is over with their 12 or 13 weeks, whatever it is, and they're meeting during the summer, and Eric Gordon is going to start groups for those who have been in the grief support group so they can stay connected. Why do you want to stay connected? Because they've been through the same thing you have if you've lost a child, you do not want someone coming up to you saying, you know, I, I know how you're feeling because you're going to ask them, have you lost a child? And heaven forbid they say to you, no, I haven't lost a child, but I know what you're going through. Oh, my goodness gracious. AA. Your support groups, Alcoholics Anonymous, drugs, whatever addiction there is, you want to be in a group with a person who is Cover the same territory you are covering. If you lost your job, you want to talk with someone who's been through that. If you're going through the divorce, you, you want to talk with someone who's been through that pain. How do you do it? How do you survive? How do you keep going? You know, how do you manage this? There's Jesus. Jesus. 
There's Jesus. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest in heaven who does not understand our suffering. We have someone who has suffered as we have, yet without sin. I visited a lady three weeks ago. She had been in the hospital for two weeks. Her baby was six months old. She missed that baby terribly. And when I went to visit her to see how she was doing, all of a sudden she turned her head and her eyes flew open. She was hearing something that I wasn't hearing. It's not because of my age. She was hearing something that I wasn't hearing because she was a mom. And that baby was a couple of rooms away, but she heard that baby. And she said, excuse me, Pastor, and she went to grab that baby, brought that baby back in. She heard him because she was mom. There was a guy in the mall many years ago, and, and he thought his three-year-old was with his wife, and he's wandering around, and, and all of a sudden he hears a voice. It's a very busy mall, a lot of noise going on, but he hears a voice. And when he hears that voice, he knows automatically who it is. That's his three-year-old Johnny. And he just kind of shudders, gets goosebumps all over, and he thought, I thought Johnny was with Mom. How come, how come I hear him calling out? And he goes running. No one else heard Johnny. He did. That's Dad. Psalm 139, before you speak... He hears. Before you think a thought, already knows. In the midst of the loudness of the storms, when you hear no voice but the storm itself, he is above the storm, in the storm, even in the valley of shadow of death. And his arms are reached out to you. True man. Let me head to the disciples for a minute or two. We'll give them a huge break because of the storm. You got 30 foot waves, you got a ferocious wind, you're not in a house, you're on a boat. You've had friends and relatives die in storms like this. They're in the boat. They had the power of the universe right next to them. They were no better than you and I. They let them sleep. They let them sleep too, too focused on the storm. They let him sleep. And then at the last minute, they go to him. At the last minute, thief on the cross goes to him. At the last minute of his life, Samson goes to him. At the last minute, they go to him, and there he is. There's a little lecture after the miracle. He says, you guys have been with me for two years. You've seen me do a thousand miracles. 
Why are you so afraid? The gentle chiding. It was some 30 years ago, an episode I'll never forget. I'll never forget. His wife was a member. He was not a member. He was exceedingly wealthy. Mid-30s was worth like $10 million. And his wife called me and said, my husband's business has just folded. There is nothing left. Can we come talk to you? I had never met him before. I said, sure, come talk to me. And they came in. We talked for some 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And then uh, they were getting ready to leave. And I said to him, I said, can, can I have a prayer for you? Can I pray, pray about your job and your business and all of that? He wasn't mean, and he didn't say it overly sarcastically. But he said to me, Pastor, I think God's got more important things to worry about than whether I have a job or not. Now, I've never forgotten that. I guess you just don't forget something like that. God has more important things to worry about than whether I have a job or not. And I remember mentioning Matthew 10, that a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without him knowing it. And we talked for a bit longer. I said, you know, he, he promised us abundant life on this earth. John 10, verse 10, he promised us abundant life on this earth. And abundant life means in the realm of health and in the realm of finances and the realm of relationships. He promises abundant life. But I said, that requires talking to him. And he's got no problem with that. I don't know if I said it last week. There, there are no clarification in, uh, in Matthew 7, 7. Jesus simply says, ask. And you'll receive, seek, and you'll find, knock, and the door will be open. He says, he doesn't say, ask, except in the realm of health, cancer, finances, or broken relationships. You can ask about anything, but not those. He doesn't qualify what he says. He says, ask about anything, seek about anything, and knock about anything, and I will be there. It's six months later, he's ready to die. It's the day before he dies. Says to his disciples, do you remember the storm that you went through? Day before he dies, John 16, 33, in this world, my dear disciples, you'll face many other storms. But I want to remind you who's in the boat, who's in the storm. I want you to, remind, to be reminded of that. I have overcome the storms that you will face. Before he left, I asked once again, can I pray? And he said, Pastor, if you feel the need, pray. I close with Dwight L. Moody. The irony, this devotion came across my path on Thursday. Dwight L. Moody. Some of God's children have been made strong, very strong, to do mighty works for him. God has his Samsons here and there who can pull up the gates of the city, carry them to the top of the hill. 
He has a few mighty believers who are like lions, but the majority of his dear children are a timid, trembling group of people. They are like starlings, frightened at every passerby. They are a fearful little flock. If temptation comes, they are taken like birds in a snare. If a storm threatens them, they are ready to faint. Their frail little boat is tossed up and down by every wave. They drift along like a seagull on the crest of the billows. They are weak things without strength, without wisdom, without foresight. Yet as weak as they are, and because they are so weak, this promise is made to them by Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. And the promise is this. My dear weak child, you cannot carry that burden on your own. I know that. So weak as you are, crawl. Place the burden on my lap. Leave it there. Then walk away with your burden in my care, with your storm in my care. And as you walk away, I'll fill you with my peace. Dwight L. Moody. Jesus, priceless treasure. Don't spend too much time in the storm. Remember the light that chases away the darkness. The light that your grandma and grandpa, the light that your mom and dad, the light that you have that you shared with your children. He was asleep in the stern of the boat. And when they called, the power of the Son of God was let loose. Heavenly Father, bless the sharing of your word, be it him, scripture, or this meditation. May your spirit grab hold of the promises that you have delivered. And may they find such a deep place in our hearts that those promises become a permanent part of our life. And then we shall have the abundant life on this earth that you yourself have promised. Such things we ask in our Lord's name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.